why any kid decides to set out and dedicate themselves to a life of pain and suffering in pursuit of perfection in their sport is fascinating. A pure and naive dedication that seldom results in a life they thought it would. Well, today's guest, a kid from Nebraska who set out to run his first marathon at 12, started off with the same single-minded pursuit. And when one looks back at his life some 20 plus years later, you'd be hard pressed to call that 12-year-old naive. Today we sit down with Anton Tony Krupicher, a true sportsman who, by my account, has stayed true to that 12-year-old kid who ran a marathon for no real reason. This week on Thereabouts Outspoken. Howdy sports fans and welcome to another episode of Thereabouts Outspoken, the podcast that explores the characters that are thinking about sport differently. My name is Angus Morton and despite the holiday, I am joined today by Isaac Carson. G'day mate, how's things? And as Lance would say, you been riding or you hiding? Um, I've been riding dirty and getting dirty. I uh, just finished uh, putting together a new 650 rig uh, for a trip we have coming up when we're allowed out. Um, and I've just been practicing in Forest Park, hitting the fire lanes hard, and it's been a, it's been a blast. Mate, I haven't been practicing uh, the two-wheeled sport at all the past month or so. Um, you know, got those coronavirus blues. Um, but this weekend, I did get back out there, a little inspired by uh, these new bikes we've got coming in this this adventure that we have planned coming up. Um, and do you know what? After getting to know Tony's story uh, a little bit over the last couple of months, I've uh, got pretty excited about running, long distance running. And so today, I kicked off my marathon campaign um, with the help of Nike running legend, Lee Grantham. So I've got, you know, like a 15 or 16 week program laid out to uh, to run a half marathon and then a full marathon. So, you know, I've got my uh, my future all planned out for me. But speaking of... Well, that, sorry. now that you announced it to the world, you know, you have to do it. So I don't know if that was your intention for that announcement, but, uh, you know, no going back, Gus. It's, do you know what? It actually is the intention of, of, uh, of that announcement. It's a little bit of like accountability mixed in with like narcissism, two things that I really love. And I figured if I, uh, you know, put them out there into the world, I'm forced to do it because there's, I've had so many big plans over, you know, my years on this earth and, uh, and I often keep them to myself and then never fulfill them. So I'm hoping that as a result of, of airing this, I'll be held accountable. Speaking of the future, that brings us to the past and that brings us to today's episode. Today's guest is a man who's always marched to his own beat. A true multi-sportsman, Tony started running as a young kid and never stopped. Staying true to just that, running and running the way he wanted. Tony went on to graduate with multiple degrees on his way to making his name by winning some of the most prestigious ultra marathons in the world. We sat down with Tony to talk about running that marathon at age 12, chasing 100 mile weeks through school and 200 mile weeks after that. 
to finally making a living as an athlete and winning the fabled Leadville 100. Not once, but twice. To me, he's the MJ of ultra racing. The GOAT. What we didn't sit down and intend to talk about was about his inevitable career crossroads, the power of arbitrary measures in finding meaning through adventure, and the concept of loss. G'day, Tony. How are you doing, man? Good. Yeah. I don't know. It's like to be on the podcast. Uh, I've listened to a few episodes, so I feel like I know what I'm in for. Really? That's good. Um, well, I guess we should start with, have you been spending your time in this social distancing? This is the question that everybody asks everybody at the moment. And like, whilst I don't really care that much, <laughs> I, must, I must say I have to ask the question. Well, I think my response is going to be about as disappointing or as uh, half-hearted as your, as your question um, because I'm an introverted person and like not much has changed for me. Like <laughs> I sure like I like going out to like get a beer or like a pizza or something or like especially like say like climbing you need a partner but in general, it's like I'm not a super social dude, so uh, it hasn't been that difficult for me these last couple months. Um, having said that, uh, I mean, it has had an effect on my life, um, but I'm not like emotionally uh, burdened too much by it all. Mate, I, it's 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 funny you should say that. I um, I was like talking with uh, like the female world time trial champion the other day she was training for the olympics up until this happened but um so she's sort of in training mode right and uh and still was for, for quite a while during the initial shutdown and, and i and i sort of asked her i was like how have you been affected by this and she's like to be honest like my day-to-day hasn't changed at all and and i was like you know and i'm like well obviously you know, well not necessarily obviously but like oh yeah this person's training for the olympic games whatever right for me, I'm not training for the Olympic Games. I'm not an athlete or anything, but my life hasn't changed much at all either. And I was like, what does this say about me? Like, <laughs> you know, like I don't go out much, you know, I sort of just like, you know, ride my bike a bit, go for a run, like, just hang around at home sort of thing. So anyway, um, look, let's, let's before we kind of jump into, to, you know, right now and all that sort of stuff, we should probably get a bit of a background. Whereabouts, and I don't even I don't even know the answer to, to, to any of these. Where did you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Yeah, no, I mean that's the thing. Like I, I would assume your audience is very heavily cycling based, and my name is not in the cycling world at all. Uh, my name is, you know, I guess I made my name in the ultra marathoning world, uh, specifically like mountain trail ultra running. But uh, yeah, I grew up in Nebraska just the next state over from Colorado uh, on a really small, on a farm outside of a town of 300 people. So super rural, very, I don't know. It's just like, it's when you think of like, uh, like middle America, rural, rural, like Midwest, Great Plains, like that's where I grew up. And, um, but yeah, but I've been in Colorado for the last 20 years, uh, which is crazy to say, but yeah, I came here for college in 2001. And other than a, couple of short stints in Oregon and Montana I've been in Colorado the last 20 years now I read 
when I was researching this article, as you said, right, like our audience is, is predominantly cycling. And I must admit, like the way that I have been introduced to you is recently through your writing and then have kind of subsequently learnt about, you know, uh, all of your escapades. But I was reading your Wikipedia page where, you know, as everyone does when you're starting this thing, which to be honest is super light on, I might add, like there's not a lot of information there. Um, but anyway, what I, the, the point I'm trying to make is, I read on that that you completed your first marathon at 12 years of age. Mm -hmm. Is that true? That's 100% true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, that's unbelievable. That's that's mind-blowing. I, at about the same age, I think, did my first 100-kilometer ride and it was supported. There was aid stations, all this sort of stuff. I thought I was um, a king for doing that. Tell me, how, like, how did you come to get into running, but not only get into running, but to do a marathon, something that people are typically told to hold off until, you know, their, their later years to do? Yeah, I mean, when I was in the fifth grade, we, in the States, there's these presidential physical fitness tests, and you have to do like a one-mile time trial as part of that, just for PE class. And that's how I started running. I was like, Oh, get ready for this by running one mile a day in the month leading up to it. But then like by a year later, um, I was, I just never stopped running and I was so into it and, uh, wanted to run a marathon. I, I, my family would go to like secondhand bookstores and thrift shops and stuff. And I picked, I picked up a bunch of, uh, like running literature from like the 1970s, and, uh, and I was just devouring that stuff. And it seemed uh, like if you were going to be a real runner, you had to do a marathon. So I was like, oh, I'll find the nearest marathon, which was like a three-hour drive away. My dad drove me to it. Um, but I, I trained for it. Like I did, I, th- I want to say it's all, I have a training log. I have training logs since 1995, but I did like probably three 20-milers leading up to that marathon. So I was I was prepared. Um, and it went great. I don't know. It was, it was yeah, a super formative experience for me. And so you're, you say that you just started running because of you know getting into to training for this one mile um, test at school. Like there was no, there's no background with family. There's no nothing. Like what were they thinking when you know after you'd done that one mile TT, you're like, oh, I want to go run a marathon now. Well, I was I was doing like like track meets and stuff in middle school, that kind of thing. But I think. Um, I don't know. Just from the very beginning, I was interested in uh, like really like what what my potential was, what my what my limits were. And the marathon seemed like the obvious test at that point in time. And I I do remember uh, after I did that, because, you know, marathon is 26 miles. I was like, well, I guess next thing I have to do is a 50K, which I never got around to doing until much later. But uh, like the idea of just like running farther and farther um was there from the very beginning for whatever reason running a marathon isn't typical for a 12 year old right so you know it's normally track stuff cross country 5k 10k sort of thing where did you go like you've done a marathon did you how did you kind of satisfy your competitiveness or like where did you turn after you'd done that first marathon in order to like you know satisfy that that craving as a 12 year old when there's no 12 year olds out there doing marathons uh i mean the next so that marathon was in july of 96 and then that following winter um i just immediately i was doing like 100 mile weeks i don't know i was just like 
there's this running coach, uh, legendary from New Zealand, uh, Arthur Lydiard. And he had a book and, and the thing was like, you need to do a hundred miles a week. You needed to do uh, a 22 mile long run on Sunday. So like, that was my program <laughs> and I just went for it, but, but it was all in preparation for like spring track season and then like cross country, which by the way, uh, I like, I was, I was good in like junior high because no one else was doing that. So <laughs> but, but by the time I got to high school, I just wasn't very fast at that stuff. Like, I mean, I was good enough, but not in a, an absolute sense at all, you know? Um, super mediocre like i was running like 450 miles and like 10 32 mile kind of thing um which just isn't fast by anyone's standard um so i don't know it's but but from the very beginning it was uh it was much more like i loved the competition but it was much more than that for me it was like became part of my identity right away and um i just became like i needed to get out and be running every day and what did like, how did that impact school, all this sort of stuff, right? Like you've got to squeeze in your training around a structure. And I know, like personally speaking, um, you know, I was, yeah, doing like 25 hour weeks as a 14, 15, 16 year old, right? And so obviously turning up to school late, all this sort of stuff, like, and, and that just did not compute with my teachers, with the school. I'm wondering like how you, like how, how for you, did you yeah how did that sort of people view you so I, I did that marathon in july and then i remember that fall um i remember i was out in the garden with my dad and we were like pulling weeds with the carrots or something and i was like yeah like i think i think in order to get in uh the mileage i want to during the school year um i'm gonna have to like run to and from school because you know i'd like i'd like read that the kenyans had done that right and so I lived seven miles from town, seven miles from the school. And my mom was actually a teacher at the high school. So she would like take my books and clothes in for the day. I would run to school, um, you know, get my gym bag from her and then like shower and then go to school all day and then run home in the evening um, or like after school. And uh, that was, I don't know. It's like in high school, it's just not very hard. You can, right. you can do a lot. You can, you can like... <laughs> And, and like school was always easy for me. So I just, yeah, it, that was never a problem. Even in college, which wasn't as easy for me, I was running a ton, but all I was doing was running and going to school. You know, it was, I was very, I don't know. I was very focused. <laughs> and you say like, um, right from the get go, like running became very much part of your identity and, um, <clears throat> going to college, like going from school, high school to college, like what at that time, what was, what was driving the, like these decisions? Were you like, you know, were you constantly set on like, I want to make running my full-time job or like, I, you know, like running's my thing and that's what I want to pursue like some end or were you like, okay, I'm going to college now to be right, to be what? I mean, really my whole life, uh, there was that tension because like I, I worked really hard at academics too and it was like, because that was just important in my family and, um, and getting a degree and then going to grad school and that kind of thing. But, uh, I never thought that running would become a means to, uh, I don't know, uh, as, as like a job or like, you know, to, to have like a career or, um, make a living, I guess. Uh, but throughout college, 
it was always, I mean, in college I studied physics, philosophy, and geology. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was ambitious, you know, but, <laughs> but, um, but I, I was always just obsessed with the running side of it. You know, like I was doing so much running and I remember after I graduated, I applied for a job in the, in the geology department as like a, like a teaching assistant kind of thing, a paraprof, they call them paraprofessional, paraprofessor. And, um, afterwards, like I was good friends with the chair of the department and he was like, yeah, like you would have gotten the job, but there's that one field trip we were on where you went for like a two hour run and, you know, we'd already packed up camp and we're like out at the crag, like, you know, looking at the outcrop and, and like, it was just obvious, like <laughs> I was at least as committed to running as I was to schoolwork, you know? And, um, so there's always that tension. And then when I got to grad school, I just, I don't know, I think grad school, it never, I'd already like in my own mind, like I'd already proved myself academically and I didn't, it wasn't like academics weren't required for my ego anymore. And that's always what it was. It was like, Oh, like I can get an A or like, you know, I can get this degree. And, and I, by the time I got around to grad school, it's like, I was, I was a fully an adult. I was just more comfortable with myself. Like I don't need to like prove to the world how smart I am or something the whole time. Um, Whereas I hadn't really scratched that itch fully with running because I was never a good runner. Like in college, I ran cross country and track and I didn't have any success basically. Uh, but then, you know, immediately after college, I, I fell into the ultra marathon stuff and immediately had success there. And that just became my focus straight away then. And how was that process? Like deciding that you were, you know, like you, you like, at grad school, you're like, this is no longer for me. I'm like, how did you find your home in running, basically? Like, what, what event was that or what process did you kind of go through and, and find that? Yeah, so the year after I graduated from undergrad, uh, I had a job at the school as a writing tutor. And that summer, um, this was down in Colorado Springs, uh, I won a couple of races here in Colorado, a couple of marathons. Uh, one of them was the Leadville Marathon. And... Um, so I ended up because there was some confusion. I wanted to do the Pikes Peak Marathon that summer, uh, but I didn't get an entry. So I was like, this local running shop manager was like, "Well, dude, you're doing 200 miles a week. You're never going to be more fit to run 100 miles. Like you should do the Leadville 100. You know, it's a super iconic, legendary race." Right. And at that point in time, like I knew I wanted to do a 100 mile race at some point, but I didn't think that I was capable of it yet. But that's like that's what's so exciting about uh, I guess ultras in general is like, you're trying something that seems impossible. It's, the outcome is so uncertain. Like you only know that it's going to be super hard. Um, so the first time there's no way to know if you're ready or not, you know? Um, so yeah, I was like, well, cool. I'll, I'll try, you know, I'll do Leadville. And it went, well, I don't know. It was just like, I just thought it's like, I mean, it was hard. It was, it was like probably the hardest thing I'd done physically up to that point, but it wasn't that hard. You know, I was just like, Oh, this is just normal. Cause I mean, at that point, dude, I'd been running 200 miles a week. Like when you're running 30 hours a week, like going out and running a hundred miles is doable. <laughs> and how old were you? Like how old were you when you first did Leadville? 23 that summer. Yeah. 23. And let's talk about, right. You've won some pretty incredible races. You've got some amazing results. 
um, you, you know, you ended up winning Leadville Run 100 a couple of times, right? Can you, I guess, like talk me through some of these these greatest sporting achievements? Um, I was reading a little bit about one of your Leadville wins where you really, you trained like a one solid block, five-week block or something after injury leading up to it and you won. Um, yeah, what, what, t- 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 tell me about, tell me about that. Uh, so that would have been the second year, 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, so the previous year I'd won and I ran like 17 hours flat, which was like the second fastest time at that point in time. Um, but then, so I came back in 2007 and I'd had this little knee injury. So I couldn't really get training until like 4th of July or something. Uh, but then I put in, yeah, like five or six weeks of like 200 miles a week and then went and probably had like one of my best races ever you know just like led the whole way one by like three hours or something um ran yeah ran a time that wasn't it wasn't the it wasn't the course record but it was the second fastest time uh and that second fastest time wasn't beaten until just a couple of years ago um the course record is still held by this other guy matt carpenter who's a whole nother story but yeah (laughs) way better than everybody else um so I don't know. It was just one of those things where running, it was all I was focusing on at that point in time, you know, I'm running three or four hours a day and it's when, when you're that monomaniacally focused on something, it's, it's easy to be successful in something like ultra running, which kind of rewards like high volume, but also at a time when ultra running was just starting to become really popular. So there wasn't a lot of depth yet either. Um, I mean, I think a lot of my times have held up over the last 10 years, but, um, th- it's definitely a different sport now. And before we get on to like, like what the sport looks like now and, and your position in that, right. Were you, when you, when you sort of won, started winning these big races, were you full-time running? Like, were you making a living off of that? Um, or not yet? Like what, what, when did you start to make a living off of, of running? Yeah. So in 2010, so I went to grad school in 2009, but then in 2010, uh, I did the Western States 100, which is kind of the granddaddy of the mountain California. And I ended up getting second in that race, but I like led almost the entire way. And it was just kind of like this really classic race that was, uh, there's a film made about it. So it's, it's kind of like, it's just like stayed in everyone's like kind of history of the sport, you know? But after that, um, my sponsor at the time, which was new balance, mm-hmm. um, they just like, they would just been paying me like a very nominal stipend, you know? Uh, but after that, the, the manager of the team there was like, dude, like this is embarrassing. Like what we're paying you? Like, like, what do you want? <laughs> and I was like, okay uh how about this and he's like sure and so from there like i mean that just like completely changed my life i just became able to support myself through running in sponsorships you know and um that was in 2010 and it's yeah been the case for the last 10 years then and then like so okay i guess what 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 do you view in out of that that sort of period in in time as your your greatest achievement like what looking looking at 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 all these events you've done. Well, no, and, and and I mean, I no, 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 not at all. Like sporting, I, I mean, I've got written here, like what is your greatest sporting achievement, right? Like what do you view as, as the thing that you've done that you're most proud of? 
I think for me, it is uh, being able to make a living at it. Like that's just, uh, I don't know, having the, the trust of companies that they'll want to like support me and basically endorse their products and uh, be a part of, you know, me trying to, yeah, have a career as like an outdoor athlete. Um, that's, I don't know. It's not, I mean, I mean, I'm someone who like, like if you saw where I grew up, it's just hilarious. You know, like, like until like this last summer, I don't think either of my sisters had ever been overseas. You know what I mean? Um, and I've been everywhere in the world and it's not because I'm like smarter than them or something. It's just because I got really lucky, you know? And I guess that's what I'm most proud of is like getting lucky, (laughs) you know, getting like travel around the world and see, you know, so many different places and have so many different experiences that if I hadn't ever, I guess, found success in running, that stuff never would have happened. Right. And I mean, I'd hardly call that lucky. It's, It's weird how it works out though. It's like, it's like being in the right place at the right time. Like, like having your, your personality like matches certain zeitgeists and you know, it all just kind of locks like falls into place. There's a certain amount of luck involved. Obviously. I mean, I like to think that as long as you like, I don't know, are true to your passions and really like exhibit uh, commitment to those, that stuff will work out eventually, but you have to be lucky too. Right. And I mean, I was, I was talking to, um, a friend uh, the other day who runs, you know, in the, in the, like the, the kind of ultra endurance category. And apparently you probably know more about this than I, but there was a, a, a survey done on like who makes a living off of what they do, like a hundred percent of their living off of running. And it's still like less than 10% of, of, of the field. So, so 10 years ago, there's like not that many, you know, which is, which is, which is remarkable. You know, it's, it's definitely changed in the last 10 years, but like in 2010, there were probably like, I mean, I was one of literally a handful of guys, you know, talking like, you know, five or six guys maybe in the world who are like truly living off of in in the ultra endurance world in in like the more traditional like marathoning track and field world. Of course, there's been sponsored runners since forever, but but in ultra marathon, it's it's a definitely a new thing. And you've been renowned, like obviously, you just you know you've been renowned for your like incredible mileage. Um, I also I didn't understand that it was like as of you know sort of. 12 13 years of age 100 mile a week like that's just like really that's like really messing with my mind right now in terms of like trying to comprehend that but so like you've you've had like you had a series of injuries and then you talk about like facing a crossroads as an athlete and you start introducing these other sports like um when like can you talk about when that was and when that point sort of came that all of a sudden it was about more than just running yeah, there was a couple of points. The first would have been 2011. I literally just tripped up in Chautauqua and broke my leg. And, but it was, yeah, it was like in June. So I missed that entire season. And that was just after I'd had like a great 2010, right? Um, but coming off of that injury, I kind of like reconnected with uh, climbing, rock climbing. Uh, it was something I'd done in college, but I just got distracted by all the running. So getting into climbing then because it was just low impact. Um, and then scrambling in the flat irons associated with that. But then in 2015, um, I got a stress fracture in my tibia and 
that was when I picked up cycling, like in a serious way, I guess. Like I, I'd ridden a bike. Like I remember early in college, like I'd always ridden a bike as kind of like rehab from certain injuries. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, if I can't run, I'll ride a bike. So I had, I, I bought like a, like an aluminum road bike and had ridden that and ended up getting stolen. But I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't just like dicking around. Like I remember once I rode all the way from Aspen back down to Colorado Springs, which is like 160 miles. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a long ways on a bicycle, you know, <laughs> um, to not be like a serious cyclist at all. Um, but in 2015, uh, yeah, I had that stress fracture. So I really got into, to cycling that summer, um, bought a used like Trek Madone and just like rode a bunch of road miles. I also got, uh, kind of a, like a, a drop bar mountain bike, kind of a monster cross bike, uh, from a local company here, Reeb. And that introduced me. That's when I just started like, Oh, there's all these like dirt roads above town here in Boulder's a ride, you know? And I hadn't, I don't know when I was on like 23 mil tires on the Madone, it wasn't really like exploring mm -hmm. the Switzerland trail, you know? <laughs> but, so, so I got both of those bikes that summer and just, I don't know. That's when I started like kind of getting interested in like cycling culture too. And like, how there's a whole, I don't know, there's just a whole spectrum in cycling from, you know, like the world tour, grand tours, kind of pro cycling down to like, you know, bike touring and, you know, bike packing has become a thing. And then just, I mean, all of it, like fixie culture and track bikes and uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I think that whole, the, the variety is super interesting to me. In is there the like, same sort of subcultures in running? I can't imagine. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's I would say there's like there's the there's the track slash road like scene, and then there's like the off road like trail. And now trail running has become synonymous with ultra running, even which is kind of weird. It's like short distance trail races aren't even like no one cares about them, which I think is unfortunate. But it's like the only thing that's relevant are ultra marathons. It seems like in the trail space, but yeah, there's definitely that split. And as you might, as might expect, there's like, like, like biking, you know, there's kind of like, Oh, uh, there's like mountain bikers and roadies. It's the same with in running. It's kind of like, Oh, like you're a roadie and you know, you're a trail runner, which isn't a real runner. Cause those are just hiking races, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's similar, but there's not the same. I don't know. It's not the same, like, vibrance like richness of tradition and history and uh you know running super simple which is its appeal but biking there's the bike and the bike itself and all the parts to it and everything all the components and, and the way you build it up is there can be there's like such a nerd like geek but also like snob factor to it and that just doesn't exist in running because you're talking literally about like a pair of shoes, a pair of shorts and like a heart rate monitor. If you're really into it, you know, I'm like, um, you know, it's just, it's not as, and it's unfortunate because where there is more of a culture where I think there should be more of a culture is in like the mountain side of things or like the, the off-road side of things where it becomes much more about like the human experience than just pure. How fast can I like sprint around an oval? And, but for some reason, there seems to be a lot of that in the bike world, but not as much in the running world. Like there have been strong attempts, but 
it's not, I don't know. It doesn't resonate with me as much. And it's, and it's the same in climbing too. Like I'm, I'm really into to climbing as well and alpinism and that kind of thing. And there's so much tradition in history and, and it's just not fair as much in running for some reason. And so tell me like what, how, you know, like you said, in 2015, you started really getting into riding like 2011, it was climbing. How did adding these sports or like, how did this sort of, you know, you, you, I mean, you spoke about it a little bit then, right? Like doing things outside of just for the result, right? Like, so how did these, uh, adding these sports and like opening that perspective up help you like help you grow or like change your perspective, right? Like to be, certainly for me to be successful at running, I had to only be running. Right. Um, it was, it just required that level of commitment. I think someone who's maybe more talented could get away with being a little less focused, but it wasn't the case for me. Um, but ultimately it like broke me down physically. Like I, yeah, just couldn't sustain it. So when I, when I started climbing in 2011, one of the things that really changed was I was like, Oh, you can actually hike up a hill just as hard. If the hill's steep enough, you can hike up. it just as hard as you can run up it. Um, and so it was this whole idea of like, there doesn't need to be a trail. You can strike out off trail. You can incorporate scrambling. You can incorporate climbing. So it was just like that, that running didn't become like the value or the point anymore. It was simply being out in the mountains and moving, you know, and whatever form that took was valid, you know? Uh, whereas before, like when I was in college, if I like hiked a 14 or with some friends or something, mm. it would like, have to go for a run that evening because like that wasn't that wasn't like a valid form of movement in the mountains you know what i mean uh so that was a big shift for me because because you know it just applied to everything then like whether that was climbing biking uh ski mountaineering uh it's all just like being outside moving um so it just i don't know it adds like so much more like depth to your relation to the outdoors. Like I remember that summer 2015, the first time I biked up left-hand Canyon, I was like, holy shit, there's like this whole like world that I didn't know existed in Boulder. (laughs) Or like when you go out to like hygiene and there's like a hundred people like at the bike rack and it's just like, everyone's like in their Lycra or whatever and like having their muffin at the cafe. And I'm just like, damn, like I didn't even know that this part of life existed. You know, like you just get so stuck in your world of like running and the same, like the first time I went to Eldo for climbing or something, it's like, Jesus, there's just like an entire world out there that I had no idea was even there. And it's, and it's so interesting and there's so much to learn. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, you see the world with different eyes when you pick up a different activity like that. Right. And so, I mean, I would have to agree, right? Like, I think for me, that's happened in the last, you know, probably 12 months, all of a sudden I've started running but this whole world of running there's this whole world of running right and then skiing was the next one that was what i was about to say was like i didn't even i like i honest to god had no idea that uphill skiing existed (laughs) like like and and i was like moving back to the states and i saw my friend was like i think it might it might have even been like i'd seen you start posting and a few other people and i was like wait a second like there's a way that you can ski downhill, but like you get a workout in like, you know, it's like this, like, it's like this physical experience. Right. And I was like, hadn't skied in nearly 20 years. Like before I even did anything, right. I was messaging you. I was like, do I get these skis? Blah, blah, blah. Like got a ski set up. And, uh, and 
anyway, um, and, and then I opened up this whole world. All of a sudden, like people that I'd known for a long time, friends of my parents that lived in Colorado or even friends of my own. And they're like, oh, yeah, backcountry skiing. Like, oh, yeah, like skinning. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing that my whole life. And you're like, what the fuck? No one mentioned this to me. And there's this whole other world. All of a sudden, like everything changes. Like, it's crazy. It's like, right. Because there's so much, like all of a sudden, like I remember when I was really into running, it was just like, oh, where can you go in the country to get like a lot of vert in the wintertime? It's like, oh, well, you could run in the Grand Canyon. There's no snow there, you know, like that kind of thing. But now I'm just like, I look forward to winter because schemos fucking rad and i love the races and i love the training of it i love being out in the mountains in the winter time and like i don't know like that never existed in my life before 2015 you know like it's just nuts and that's the same like um like my epiphany was 2013 when like you know all sport had ever been forever was results based and like you said it really well then like if you went and did a hike with your friends in the day that wasn't valid you had to go and run in the night um, like, because it wasn't, and, and I just, like, it didn't even occur to me that there was a, there was another way to participate in sport and by extension of that engage with the outdoors than being results-based. And the moment I learned that, like, all of a sudden you're just like, oh dude, you know, like, it's like, it's almost like, it's like, it was, it was like, it was like such a, yeah, a, a watershed moment that it's really hard to articulate, like that change. Yeah. I guess for me, the main thing though, and this is this is something that I'm pretty adamant about is that like, I still like, I absolutely love competition and I love, mm. uh, in, in almost any aspect, like obviously running is where I found success at it. But, um, like a schema race or a bike race to me is just as, uh, enriching or satisfying as a running race. Even if I'm finishing, like, I mean, I do, I do, pretty well at schema but like a biker it's like a mid-pack you know mm. and uh that doesn't matter it's like for me it's just like being out there trying my absolute hardest at something for you know however many hours is I, you know it's crazy i think about i don't know like i was thinking about my parents recently i was like man this is like an experience like they never had of just like being like in that much physical discomfort and like overcoming it and then like getting to the other side of it and having like that I don't know, that satisfaction wash over you. Like, it doesn't even matter, like, how you did. It's just that you, like, met the physical challenge and didn't back down. Like, you tried your absolute hardest. And I don't know. So, for me, competition is still extremely valuable in my life. Um, but, obviously, there is a whole other way to engage with the outdoors and with other humans that isn't just competition-based, you know? Um but I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive, I guess. Right, exactly. And speaking of competition, post-2015, what happens to running as these other sports start to emerge and you're kind of having this this change in perspective? Yes. So this is a weird thing because everyone, I, or I get a sense sometimes on social media that people right, think that's that exactly where I go. the last five years I haven't been racing because I don't want to be racing um, that, or like I'm too busy climbing and skiing and biking. But mostly it's just like my body, I've just had a series of injuries that haven't allowed me to run enough to be fit for racing. You know, like I had two years and my IT band was all fucked up. And then my Achilles tendon going on three years now, you know, like I can run and, but I can't, I can't do a lot of intensity. I can't do a lot of vertical and both of those things are necessary for racing in the mountains, you know? Um, so 
it's been nice to be able to still have that competitive experience with biking and skiing mm -hmm. that I used to only ever have with running, I guess. Um, but if, having said all that, like the running has been going pretty well this year. And I mean, COVID's like inconvenient for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But for me, it's like, dang, like right when I was like really finding a groove with it again, there's no races this year, you know? <laughs> And that's what I wanted to say because I didn't, you know, like I know that you haven't really competed over the last five years, but we were going out to, we were talking um, about going out to the, what was that race in Oklahoma? The gun, not the, Mid-South, exactly, Mid-South Gravel and, and we were chatting like, oh, I'm going to go out and do the, the 50K or whatever it was on the, on the Friday. Um, and then like as, as soon as you said that, like online, like all of these memes started like emerging about you going and racing again and all this sort of stuff. Like, so was that, had you, which I mean, which is like hilarious and amazing. This like the mythology of, of Tony, right? Um, was that your first race in a while? And, and, and like, I mean, you know, I guess is it, it was disappointing. You had to turn around halfway there, right? Or is it nothing? Like I was saying earlier, it's not like, the racing has never been the point mm. for me. I've always been an intrinsic, very intrinsically motivated for all these activities. Uh, racing is just an aspect of it that I really enjoy, but it's not like if a race doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world for me. Like, because I haven't, I haven't spent all these hours like out running or whatever just to do the race. I've been out there doing it to do the running, you know? And um, I don't know. It's always, I've, I'm hyper competitive, but the racing has always been fairly incidental for me, which I think a lot of people, it's, it's hard for people to wrap their minds or how you can be that way. Especially, I mean, there was a period of time when I was at the absolute top of the sport, you know? Mm. And, um, and I think the expectation is that if you're going to be in that position, like your life is all about performance, you know? And for me, it's always been much more about, I don't know. There's like an emotional side to running for me and like a psychological health side to it. And it's just kind of like being able to have a fully integrated life, like exercise and getting outside is necessary. And that's always been the basic motivation. I mean, I can get really alpha and like get really focused on preparing for a race, but it, I mean like, so like in 2008, I qualified for Western States and it got canceled literally like two days before the race because of forest fires. And like, I was, I was ready to win that year. Like it was, I was just really fit. Um, and like, I remember I like literally like my buddy called me, I pulled over to the side of the road, crawled in the back of my truck, went to sleep. And the next day, like drove to Leadville and got a job in the coffee shop. It was just like, well, I don't know. On with the next thing, you know, like it's just, it's just a race. There's always another one. Talk about now. Let's, uh, bike touring versus bike riding you've you you've spoken about this i want to like talk to me about the, the 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 great difference that you find between the two of these things i i don't know i guess i don't have a lot of intrinsic motivation for just riding my bike you know um it's uh like of all the sports that i do if i if i had freedom to choose amongst them biking would be like number four it'd be the one i'd pick last after, right. after like running climbing skiing then biking you know in terms of like just getting out and going for a ride but in, in terms of uh 
using it as a like commuting around town, like going, you know, going to Eldo to go climbing or like going to the grocery store to pick up some food um, or like going to the pub to get a beer or whatever. Like I think biking is rad. And then as a means of transportation in terms of touring, as like getting out in the world and like going camping and that kind of thing. I think it's incredible. Uh, and I think the difference is, I don't know. It's like, like the bike is a tool and it's a way, it's way more than a tool. It's also like a piece of art and an expression of like, you know, because it's a piece of art, it's an expression of, of who you are in some way. But, uh, the way you use it is, is an expression of who you are too. And I don't use it as a training tool. You know what I mean? I use it as a, as a way to get out in the mountains and I use it as a way to like see the world. And I use it as a means of, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a freedom vehicle. It's just like, it's crazy. Like bicycles, I don't know. I can get so excited about them because it's just like you sit on a bike, like you give yourself some food and water and like you can go forever. And it's cause you can carry everything you want on the bike. It's not on your back. There's no pounding. Like there isn't running, running so destructive and abusive. Uh, I don't know. Like, something magical about biking it's a it's a way different kind of simplicity and freedom than running is but it's a kind that i i don't know i almost connect to more because it's just like it's just that whole like the mythology of the open road and all that mm -hmm. you know it's just like you have everything you need on the bike and you're self-sufficient on the bike and that's such an empowering um i don't know feeling i guess and it's like well, I mean, one way to put it is like, I have been on bike tours where I was like, God, I don't want this to end because it's just like, you just find this groove where it's like your purpose is so well-defined every day and you're doing something every day feels like an adventure. Every day feels like you're doing something like you're in the right place, you know, and, and you're doing what you need to be doing. Whereas like say in a race, like a hundred mile race, I'm always ready for it to be over by the end, you know, <laughs> like, like you can OD on, 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 on running, but like just bike touring though. I don't know. It's obviously the road will get old at some point, but every tour I've been on, I've often like, have been sad that it's over at the end. And speaking about touring and, and, and doing these sort of journeys by bike, I'm a big believer that you can have a, a, an epic adventure out out your back door and, and you spoke about like these arbitrary parameters um and how it's essential like you know prescribing yourself um limitations or a goal that you set which like is arbitrary in the scheme of things getting a to b can be done in almost any way it's not about that right it's about how you travel it so i'm interested to hear like you know what is it about setting yourself these kind of arbitrary restrictions on on an adventure that forces that personal growth that allows you to have this experience that you you otherwise wouldn't be able to. I, I, I guess I believe as humans, we assign value in, and we assign meaning to things. Uh, the things don't inherently necessarily have value or meaning. Like we just, we decide what is important and that just extends to so many different areas of your life. And it's like, well, on a bicycle, yeah, it's like you're saying, like I can I can drive my car to go climbing, or I could drive my car to go see whatever loop that I'm gonna ride. And, but it's a completely different experience then. And like style matters. Like like the ethic that you adhere to matters. You know, it's like like it's just such a different experience if you're like, well, I'm gonna do this loop. 
uh, and I don't want to have any kind of like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be completely self-contained, you know, like, like the ethic is that I'm, I'm doing everything myself on the bike and, and I'm not getting like outside assistance of any kind. Um, and that shapes the experience in a way that either makes it more or less meaningful for you. And often, so I just, I'm trying to make choices that I find more meaningful. Um, does that make sense? I don't know. I feel like I'm not explaining it very well. But it's like, so a lot of times I'll get like, you know, like you're running down a trail in the mountains and someone's like, oh, uh, why don't you like stop and smell the roses? And it's like, because stopping and smelling the roses is a completely different experience than trying, trying, you know, moving at this speed. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And the experience that I'm interested in is what it feels like and how I have to interact with my surroundings in order to move at this speed. And, and it's the same on a bike, like, you know, driving your car to the trailhead is a much different experience than pedaling a bike to the trailhead. Um, and I'm much more interested in the latter. Right. It, I, and I see the same way, right? Like you can travel down any given stretch of road in a car by foot, um, fucking train, whatever. Right. And it's the same stretch of road. It's exactly the same thing, but each of those experiences is different. And then it's like, you know, if you decide to ride down that road, on a bike with flat tires versus a bike with full tires, right? Different experience. Arbitrary parameter, you know, didn't need to do that. You didn't even need to ride it on a bike because a car's faster or, you know, so like, yeah. And that's like, that's that's exactly the, the, the point I'm making is um, I think a lot of people get hung up on this idea of the outcome being like really, like the outcome being the most important thing, even though, and, and like, this is like obviously very cliched about like, it's, it's about the journey and and it is but but I also think that like a lot of people are like oh yeah it's about the journey with one eye on the outcome um, but there's something magical to be found in like just like literally doing the journey with no out there's no outcome to it it's just like imply like yeah imposing a set of rules there's um in, in the climbing world there's a seminal essay uh, I must have been in the 60s or 70s this guy Lido Tejada Flores wrote it it's called uh, the games climbers play and it's all about the notion of like, yeah, if the point was to get to the top of the mountain, we'd just take a helicopter, you know, but the point is how you get to the top of the mountain. And that's right. why, and that's why we're taking like the steepest, hardest face that's, you know, requires different techniques and a lot more skill and strength. And, and, uh, so it's all about style. It's like, and it's all, it's all contrived. It's all arbitrary. We're just deciding that this is more important. You know what I mean? And once you can, like, get past that, I think so many people, like, get hung up on, like, their way is the best way and the most important way. It's like, no, nah, that's just your opinion. <laughs> it's just you've just decided it's the best way. But it's actually, there's actually no, like, I don't have to agree with that that's the best way, you know? And, and it's, you know, it's like, like, oh, like, you must be arrow on a bicycle, you know, in order to be, like, a serious cyclist or something. It's like, what does serious even mean? You know, (laughs) (laughs) what if I, and I'm not even talking about what's more fun because I think fun is an overused, like, I don't know, like, Oh, I I won't do it if it's not fun. Like no, I do all kinds of shit. That's not fun. That's I still find to be really rewarding and meaningful, you know? Right. But, but uh, yeah, it's, there's just a lot of different ways to engage with the world. And 
you just have to decide what makes the most sense for you, what you're most interested in, like what you value the most and, uh, and pursue it, you know? And on that, like talking about the arbitrariness of sport, but also to like that deeper kind of experience and growth and like understanding that comes from doing those things. Right. You've like pretty meticulously written in a public forum for a long time now, right? Like, like on your, your website and, and to very great effect, I, I might add. Um, but I was like looking through, I've been looking through these sort of sporadically over the last bit. And then today I realized like, I was like, I wonder what the first thing you wrote was. And so I like went all the way back to 2007. And this is like, this is like, but this is like, this had, this is actually very like, I don't know. I related to this like very, very strongly, but you wrote, um, you wrote, there is no reason to post one life on the internet other than to feel as if you have some sort of agency as a human being, right? And you went on to justify the reason why it's still worth, um, why you should still like write publicly quite eloquently. But I'm just in, intrigued to hear how you feel about this like 13 odd years later. Um, and, and why that is, is because I feel exactly the same way, right? Like I produced like a series of films about essentially like riding bikes, uh, in, in, in the way that, that I want to ride them, like with this express idea that <clears throat> there's something, you know, there's something that other people will find in, find a value in that. But I have very much battled with that idea of like, well, what's the point of me and, and have received a lot of criticism as well of like, why make this public? Why not just, if, if the journey is so great and this experience is so personal and real and all these things, why the need to, 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 to air that publicly? Um, and I mean, just, I'm intrigued to hear your, your point of view on that now. I, I know the post that you're referring to. I don't remember exactly what I said there, but I, I can answer it from my present day point of view. And it's, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's because like connection is important, you know, like you, you want to, you want to like connect with another human and feel like it's like, Oh yeah. Like I've had that experience. or like, I have felt that way about something and it's just, I don't know. It's something innate in like the human animal, I think. And I think that a lot of it, you know, so much of it gets perverted into like narcissism and, you know, like the Instagram influencer, which I've certainly been accused of being, you know, and like, it's, I don't know. There's like, I've had so much, so many rewarding, uh, satisfying things have come out of, uh, I don't know, like social media and the internet for me. And but there's so much toxic hate and bullshit on there too. And I don't, I don't think it has to be an either or thing. Like there's, there's a spectrum of you put, you have these thoughts in your head or you put some time into creating something and you want to share it and see if it resonates with anyone, I guess. And that's what writing is. That's what filmmaking is. That's what photography is. That's what, that's what sports are. I think, you know, I mean, it's all, it's all like self-expression in a way. And, you know, it's like you build a bike a certain way and you take a picture of it. And like, because like you're proud of it and you're proud of it because like, I don't know, it makes you feel a certain way. And you're curious if other people feel the same way about it, I guess, you know, that's, I don't think it's really anything more than that, but people get so worked up about it. Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> It is, it is kind of crazy and that's what I like I, I couldn't agree more right connection connection is um, 
is is that like that very pivotal word I feel like in that like we're all like human beings are inherently social right and that's an element of and an element of that is is being social right and um I do think that yeah I don't know I think it's a I think it's a very interesting time I still battle with that a lot uh that idea of like like is this is there a point to this sharing beyond you know uh and in it yeah, was it like, is it, is there, am I doing this out of some other motivation other than narcissism? You know, like, am I just looking for like thumbs up and likes and that kind of thing? Um, or is it, and it's, I guess it's however you want to couch it. I just think as long as you're like, as long as you like remain humble about it and uh, are putting like, more love out into the world instead of hate. I can't fault you for any of it. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. Like I, I question all the time, like of how much of myself to put out there, I guess. And like how Mm. much and how much to curate it. And, and, uh, I struggle with, you know, that being my job to a certain degree anymore, which is super crazy to think about. But like, yeah, at the same time, like I'm just trying to live my life as best I can right now too. And if someone else wants to, I don't know, hate that, I can't. That probably says more about them than me. I think maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tell me, like, loss as an athlete, obviously, it's inevitable, right? Something you have to come to terms with, and you, and if you ever want to survive in your sport or even be good at your sport, you have to accept losing, right? Um, when you and I, you and I went for a, a coffee, like fuck knows how long ago now. Excuse me, God knows how long ago now. But um, <laughs> and uh, and and you said you you just lost your mother. Your mother had just lost a long battle with cancer, and, and you said that it had been long cancer. Um, but but one thing you you said, I mean, sorry, you said it was inevitable, right? Um, but nothing prepares you for the moment. I'm. I want to hear. You, your thoughts like now on loss um, and coping with that, but also to like how that I, your idea of it has changed maybe, or like your kind of worldview has maybe shifted. Oh man. Um, gosh, that's a hard question. No, no, it's not even like that. I'm like, well, I mean, obviously I can get emotional about it, but like, I'm just trying to think of like what the, the takeaways, it's just weird things. It's just, I think about, so I had never understood before when someone was like doing a race or doing a hard thing and, and they were like, oh, I'm doing this for, you know, like my grandfather passed away or something. And I was like, it just never made sense to me. I was like, okay, what? Or like, but right. then it's just, just earlier this week, I was on like a little overnight, like bike trip. And it was a couple of long days, you know, like 12 hour ride each day or something. And, um, you know, I'm toiling up some like 12,000 foot pass here in Colorado And I was thinking about my mom and I was just like, Oh, like I get it now. It's like, like my mom, she's fucking dead and she can't, it's like such a privilege to have this experience as much as it sucks right now. Like, it's like, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable and hot and thirsty and tired and like my bottom brackets creaking or whatever. Like, like at least I'm not fucking dead, you know, like, like, like life is still like, I'm here in the mountains and life's beautiful. And, and I don't know, I've never had felt that as viscerally before I lost my mom, I guess. Um, 
And even though I've done all kinds of high consequence activities in the mountains, you know, I mean, alpinism and ski mountaineering and even just rock climbing, these are a lot of things can go wrong. You're like, you're playing with gravity and stuff's falling down on top of you sometimes. And, um, I had never considered the concept of death very seriously, I guess. I just had never, I just had never taken the time to stop and think about it that hard. But when you, when you're with your mom, when she dies, like, you're forced into thinking about that pretty hard. And um, I guess that has been the main takeaway from it. It's just really kind of like ruminating on the, on the, the concept of death and how, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just, it's the cliche thing is that it like, it makes you appreciate every day that you're here more. Um, yeah. That's, that's about all I have to say on it. <laughs> and last question today, like you said about like life's about assigning import, uh, assigning importance to things. What do you assign? What what have you assigned importance to now? What's the next thing for you? Like you know, what are you sort of striving for at the moment? I so. There's people, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, I do this thing like because it makes me feel alive or whatever, you know, and like that is like, that's definitely the thing that I am assigning importance to right now, which is having experiences that like kind of slap you in the face a little bit and wake you up and, and like make you recognize your like agency in the world, you know, that, that, that you exist, that you're a human. And for me, that often takes the form of some kind of difficult physical challenge that also becomes a very difficult, like emotional and mental challenge, just because that's the nature of those things. Um, So going forward, it's continuing to hopefully construct a life that prioritizes having those kinds of experiences. Um, But at the same time, going back to the connection thing, uh, I think especially um, with what's going on right now with a you know global pandemic, you can't help but uh, be awakened to the idea of the fact that like community is so important. So combining those two in some way is something that I'm going to be interested in, in doing going forwards, which is uh, you know having these kind of like meaningful life affirming experience, challenging life affirming experiences, but. Uh, like either having those with other people or helping other people have them as well, that kind of thing. Mate, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, very, very interesting and, and, and uh, yeah, really wonderful conversation. So, I appreciate you taking the time, dude. <laughs> cool. Yeah, thanks a lot, Gus. Uh, appreciate the podcast. Hope we can get out and ride soon. Today's episode was mixed and mastered by Ben Crenell in Nashville, Tennessee. It was produced by Isaac Carson and yours truly. Please, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and tell anyone who will listen to do the same. Now, I'm not saying harass people until they do subscribe, but you know, a stern recommendation goes a very long way. So, you know, the rest is up to you. Any questions? any suggestions uh, or just general comments, 
please shoot them over to our email, howdy at thereabouts.co. Otherwise, hit us up on Instagram at here or thereabouts. Uh, that's, that's it, man. And now we're at the end. And that's all we've got this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a real pleasure. We will be back next week with another episode of Thereabouts Outspoken. Don't forget to get outside for a ride, a walk, a run, or a meditation. Anything to keep the excitement high. And from the Rocky Mountain Range, yours truly in sport, Angus Morton. Yes, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Isaac Carson, reporting from the Pacific Northwest. Thanks, everybody.